Listen, do you want to know a secret? Because coming up in April on the Boozy Bracketology podcast, we are going to come together and decide what truly is the best Beatles song of all time. Some will argue we should have known better and let it be, but we couldn't help ourselves. This may be the hardest thing I've done in my life, but I'm sure I can make it down the long and winding road with a little help from my friends. So if you want to find out what goes on, check out Boozy Bracketology here, there, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. I've got a feeling you won't be disappointed. It's going to be something. Welcome back to Boozy Bracketology, where we're the home of strong drinks, strong opinions, and crowning champions. My name is Jeff, and I'm going to be your host tonight as we dive back into the bracket, the best Robin Williams performance. With us tonight, we've got our lovely group back with us to make these tough decisions. So let's dive in and find out how they're doing and what they're drinking. Up first, we've got Mike. Jeff, I'm doing great. Uh, I have a beer here that... uh... There's a funny story about this beer. I picked up a six-pack this not that long ago, and I went to go log it and untapped. And then I found that I had had the beer previously. I had had it in early March 2020. So it is very possible that this is the last beer that I had in the before times. <laughs> and that may also be why I forgot it, but it's actually a very good beer. It's from Gar's Beer Company. Uh from out of Franklin, Tennessee. It is called Red Jam, an intriguing red ale. I won't read the full description, but it does say that it is a beautiful red ale filled with aromas and flavors of strawberry jam and other dried fruit. And it does taste like it, but it's not it's not a sweet beer. It tastes like an ale. It's very good. Oh yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, up with us again is Steven. Steven, how are you doing and what's in your glass? I'm doing just fantastic tonight. I don't have any jam-based beverages, but I do have a delicious 7-Up Zero Sugar that's going to have a, a lemon with just a just a twist of lime to it. We can... <laughs> it's refreshing. Does anybody remember that weird period when we had the 7-Upside Down that was lime with the twist of lemon? Whatever happened to that? Huh. I swear to God it existed for a moment. Okay, well, that was a fun dimension I fell through for a while. I'll pass <laughs> it on to the next person. <laughs> All right, as we bring Steven back to reality. Uh, Leah, Leah, how are you doing and what's in your glass tonight? Well, I'm doing fabulous tonight, but uh, I got nothing. I'm, I'm just here as myself, beverage-free. I'm excited to make some picks. Awesome. Well, that's the important part. And rounding us out tonight is Chris. I am staring longingly to my left, past my wife, (laughs) to the bourbon shelf behind her, wishing I could wrap my mouth around. (laughs) (laughs) Pause it now and finish the sentence at home. Want me to leave the room? (laughs) I can leave you alone with the bourbon. I've got an uncracked bottle of Hancock's Reserve. Hmm. That I really want to taste. I got it right before Christmas. I didn't pop it then. And I haven't had a drink since December 26th. And that might be the first drink I have when I can drink again. 
That's going to be a good bottle. I'm here to make some picks. Let's go. Sweet. And for myself, I'm actually joining in the uh, beer festivities as well with another Cigar City pick of the high-low nature. Hmm. It is the uh, the new extension of High Lie. Doesn't have quite the punch or the alcohol by volume, but still all the flavor. It's actually quite nice. What I heard is Jeff is drinking the equivalent of O'Doul's. No, no, it's it's a Ouch. session. It's more of a session IPA. Okay, a little bit, but uh, still all the fun and flavor of Highlight without the fucked upness. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I would know anything about that with Highlight. No, Never none of ever. us would. Oof. All right, well, we are halfway in our round of thirty-two, and we're going to go ahead and round out our final eight, and we're going to get it started with the first. Matchup: the one seed of Dead Poets Society versus the eight seed of Lee Daniels the Butler. But the first pick is Mike. I think I mentioned in the last episode about Aladdin and Hook kind of being the, the movies that I saw as a kid that made me go, oh, Robin Williams, he's an actor that I want to pay more attention to because it was right around those times when I started becoming cognizant of those types of things, and it was also right around that time that I got around to seeing Dead Poet Society, and I absolutely fell in love with Dead Poet Society. I love that film. Uh, it's been it's been a hot minute since I've seen it. I think I'm a little worried that I would pick out some things in it that maybe don't hold up quite as well, but I love. I do know that what I remember of Bob Williams' performance in that is something that I still carry with me, I still think about, and I still treasure. He's he's just, he does that, he walks that, that tightrope where he's a little more subdued than his than his sometimes more manic performances, but, but he just allows just enough of that to creep in where you're still like, yep, this is Robin Williams in his charismatic glory. Um, I think Dead Poet Society is a wonderful performance by him. He's fine as Eisenhower in the butler uh but he's more memorable in terms of performing as american presidents he's more memorable as teddy roosevelt and at the museum dead poet society gets my vote here and dead poet society gets us started with the first vote steven yeah not much of a contest here at all i mean uh, let's face it the butler is just pure oscarbation and it's purest form it's just it's got so many guest cameos of famous actors playing the presidents of which robin williams is one of them it's it's all that's all it is it's a cameo the only thing the only reason we're supposed to like light up there is because we recognize the actor playing the president and that's true for every single president the cast it's it's cheap gimmick casting it's not really a role it's nothing so even if dead poet society wasn't what everyone seems to think it is it's still going to easily beat the performance from the butler. All right, Dead Poet Society gets a second vote. Leah. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't even remember that he was even in the butler. Um, but as an educator, I cannot vote against Dead Poet Society here. He's the type of teacher everyone wants to have or wants to be. Uh, he isn't perfect, but he cares about his students' needs above everything else. Um, it's It's a more quiet role. Um, I think he does have a couple really powerful moments with the students, but um, 
yeah, overall, he's just just like like a solid Remus Lupin, just a real supportive teacher role. Gotta love that. Um, my vote's going to be for Dead Poet Society. And we had to sneak in a Harry Potter reference somewhere. Dead Poet Society picks up another vote. Chris, hey, hold on one second. Leah, you okay? Hold on. I, I had to get her down off of her desk. She's back now. All right. Oh my lord. Uh, listen, we we. we Oscarbation is the term that we're going to use now. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy I have that in my life. Uh, it is 100% Oscarbation. Steven's right. But I remember the scene where there, where Eisenhower's having the conversation about desegregating Arkansas. I remember that scene vividly. Um, Lee Daniels, the butler, is actually a pretty... Good movie. Yes, does it fall under the weight of what's of, of the whole? We're going over eight presidents and we're juggling all these different people, and somehow we're imagining James Mar- James Marsters. What's his name? Cyclops. Marston. James Marston as JFK. Didn't buy that for a second. Even more outcast that is John Cusack playing Nixon. Nixon. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> but it was actually, in spite of all that, a good movie because of Forrest Whitaker, not because of Robin Williams. It's freaking Dead Poet Society, guys. He's the teacher everybody wants. Like one of the best. This might be a future bracket, but the best uh, teacher in a in a film. That could be a future bracket. He'll be on that as well. Dead Poet Society. All right, Dead Poet Society is going to be sweeping its way to the next round as we move on to our next matchup. We've got the three seed of Insomnia versus the six seed of Jumanji. With the first vote is Steven. This is a really tough one for me, actually. Um, let me just start by saying Insomnia is the better film. Like, there, there, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Jumanji, and Jumanji isn't even, like, a huge nostalgia thing for me. I saw it as a kid, but it wasn't like a VHS that we played over and over and over in our house or anything like that. Um, that being said, I think... Where I'm struggling here is that Insomnia is Robin Williams playing just a a monster. And I think that there's a better example of a monster somewhere on our list. And really, when I go back and watch Jumanji, the only thing that recommends that film to me is Robin Williams in it. Like, it's, it's... The effects don't hold up. The kid actors aren't that great. There's really not an absorbing plot line in it. Um, yeah, I'm struggling with this a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to go with my instinct and say that Insomnia is still the better film, and one of the reasons it's the better film is because Robin Williams does play that role to a T, and I always like it when char- uh, character actors go against type. I think that's always interesting when they can pull it off, and he absolutely does, so I'm going to go with Insomnia. All right, Insomnia is the first vote. Leah? Yeah, I'm going to go the opposite direction and go Jumanji. Um, He gets to play kind of several versions um, of himself, or not really of himself, but of the character. So he has his manic moments, like when he just comes out of the jungle where he's been tormented for like his entire life and has to try and acclimate back into the real world. So he sees you know, racing cars around him and things like that that he's just not used to, and it kind of freaks him out, so he has to kind of play that manic role. 
He also, you get to see his reactions to emotional things. Like when he finds out that his dad has passed away and that, you know, his, his last moment that he remembers with his dad was, you know, feeling like he disappointed his father. Um, so that's like a really good touching moment. And then when he also realizes that he kind of what certain things he did as a child, how it affected other people. And he gets to see kind of the repercussions of that with the guy in the um, shoe factory. Um, and it is, it's, it's a, it's a heartwarming thing about, you know, the decisions you make as a kid and how that shapes you as an adult. And he gets to play various stages of that throughout the movie. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a heartwarming for a kid's movie, but even as an adult, I still like it and I still feel like his roles have meaning in that movie. And it's not just a silly kids movie. It does have uh, a more powerful meanings behind uh, the role that he plays. So I'm going to go with Jumanji. All right. Jumanji picks up its first vote. Chris. It's got to be really awkward for Robin Williams to wake up and realize that he is somehow in the third best Jumanji film. That's, <laughs> that's sad. <laughs> that's very, very sad. Um, Stephen has had we've had Ouch. the conversation on here regarding Christopher Nolan in the past, uh, but it's it's kind of nice to go back and remember when Christopher Nolan actually could write human emotions well. Um, I don't know if Jonathan Nolan was involved in this movie at all, um, but you know the first two movies in the Nolan verse, uh, Memento and Insomnia, they're character studies to an extent. They really are. And the once he got he he moved away from the whole character study more into this fantastical scientific type of filmmaking, which is fine. But Robin Williams does something in insomnia that I, I talked a little bit about last episode. I'm going to talk about it again here, but there's a line and he's teetering just on either edge of the line of psychotic versus cool, calm, cool and collected. And he kind of wavers on each side of that line throughout the entire film. He's a monster. There is no doubt about it. Steven said it best. I know what I know what Steven's referring to as far as like he does a monster better than another movie. I don't think so. I know the movie you're talking about. We're going to talk about it later on this episode, but Insomnia is creepy, and it's creepy because of it's atmospheric as hell. Yes, and Hilary Swank, Al Pacino, great performances, but that's Robin Williams being the creepiest guy on the on the set, and it's to me that's this is not close. I'm not a huge fan of the Jumanji movie. He's he's good in it, but I've seen that version of Robin Williams in other movies where he's even better. All right, and Sonia picks up another vote. Mike? See, and this one's difficult for me because I do really like Jumanji. And while I understand a lot of what Steven said about, yeah, the effects don't really hold up and those, those kinds of things, that is, that is a movie that I... If it, if it's if I catch it on TV or something like that, I'm going to watch it. It's a great nostalgia trip, and and Robin Williams' performance in it is one of the great things about it. Uh, I think we're selling Bonnie Hunt a little short. She's fantastic in it too. Uh, the the kids are the kids are okay. Uh, Kirsten Dunst would obviously go on to uh, much better roles. Um, and of course, you got to love Damon Allen Greer. We're not here to talk about that. I love Jumanji. I really do. It, it holds a special place in my childhood. It's one of those movies I still enjoy revisiting. I, I can't speak to what Chris said because I haven't seen the newer ones. I saw the first one. I hadn't seen the second one. But, um, but I am in agreement. Insomnia is the better film. And Robin Williams' performance in that 
was at the time for me and and yeah we've we've talked about he's done other movies that were after that um i don't think there were really many before that where he played that type of you know a kind of more monstrous less likable role i legitimately was floored by that performance when i saw it it was it it was super creepy and just incredibly well done and it, it and honestly it's crazy to say this about uh, that movie because it is sort of the forgotten christopher nolan movie i think in a, in a way and robin williams performance in that movie is the one thing that really sticks with me for that and for that reason i'm I'm going to have to agree with uh, Chris and Steven. I'm also going to give my vote to Insomnia. And once again, uh, spare Jeff the, the agony of having to make a deciding vote here. All right. Insomnia will be moving on in one of our very few non-sweeps so far. Our next matchup is the fourth seed of Patch Adams versus the five seed of What Dreams May Come. With the first vote is Leah. Well, I am depressed just thinking about these two films and Robin's roles in them. What Dreams May Come, I think, is better known for the visuals, um, which actually do not hold up at all. Um, But he literally carries that entire movie. I don't think there's one scene in that film that he is not in. Um, It's a very heavy movie. Lots of heavy themes going on with depression and suicide and, you know, kids getting killed and it's it's a lot and robin has to carry that entire burden himself in the movie and he does it really well i don't think the like the source material for him is all that great like i think what dreams may come have had i don't know if it's based on a book but i feel like it has a lot more potential and they decided to put that potential onto let's cast robin williams and let's put a lot of money into the scenery um, and the visual effects. But So I don't think like critics probably thought it was that great. But I did feel very moved by his performance in What Dreams May Come ever since I saw it as probably a, a preteen or an early teenager. Um, it is one that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Um Patch Adams is also a great film, and he does a great performance in it, but What Dreams May Come is just a little more powerful and will stay with me longer, so that's why it's going to get my vote. All right, What Dreams May Come gets us started. Chris? What Dreams May Come is a, uh, oh, it's a feely movie. Like You're, you're going to feel some stuff watching it. There's a moment in Patch Adams that I love, and everyone has seen it. It's one of the funnier moments where he's he's wel- welcoming a bunch of gynecologists to the hospital, and he has decided to make the opening door that you go into a pair of women's legs that are spread, and it is freaking hilarious. But the funny part to me is is that like he gets in trouble for that in the movie, but watch his face when that happens. Like in the actual movie, look at his face because he's beaming with pride. He he knows he made something funny and genuine, and I don't think it's him knowing the movie's actually funny. I'm thinking that's him in character realizing that he's making all these people laugh or at least a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, what Leah said about uh, what dreams may come is kind of the same for me with Patch Adams. Like Patch Adams is for me my first real foray as 
you know, 15-year-old Chris kind of getting into Robin Williams or 16-year-old, however, however old I was, this is my first time actually seeing him take on a serious subject matter. Um, I would go back and watch his other movies later as I got older, and that's perfectly normal, but this is my first real exposure to Robin Williams in more of a dramatic role, and when it hits that dramatic role in the third act, like, holy crap, it hits a dramatic role. But he doesn't lose himself. Like, for me, this movie balances Robin Williams' ability to be a, a kinetic and funny actor and comedian, but also the ability to really carry the emotional stakes of a film. Because what happens to that character in the third act is heinous and something you don't want anyone to go through. But he balances it so well with with how what he's been known for, at least in my head at that point in time, what I've known Robin Williams as. For me, this is Patch Adams. All right, Patch Adams picks up its first vote. Mike. These are two movies that I saw roughly around the same time in my life, very young adulthood, probably 18, 19. Uh, I saw each of them exactly once. I remember thinking both were fine, not really thinking either one was outstanding. And so this that does make this a little bit of a tough one because not in neither case was that opinion in any way predicated on Robin Williams' performance because I think he's great in both of these films. I think that ultimately what what I'm going to have to use to make up my mind here may be a little unfair, but I was I was actually out of town at a friend's wedding over the weekend and I commented to one of the other groomsmen, who's my friend Aaron, that I was telling him that we were doing a. a boozy this week about best robin williams performance and it, the first thing he says was well that's got to be what dreams may come he's fantastic in that movie and i went i that one wasn't even on my radar in terms of best robin williams movies and quite frankly i'm i'm questioning your commitment to sparkle motion a little bit no but I, but i'm questioning like i'm not sure you've seen a lot of these a lot of his other films maybe but i but based on, but I know he's seen both of these movies, and that was the one that stuck out more to him. I don't know if there's one that sticks out more to me between these two, and that might be a little bit of a cop out. But uh, I do think I do think I maybe remember what dreams become just a, that little bit better. And I think and Leah put it put it well. He really has to. I mean, yeah, you get a little bit of Cuba Gooding Jr., but he really has to carry that whole movie on his shoulders. Uh, and Patch Adams, I think he gets a, he maybe gets a little more help. Which isn't taking anything away from his performance, but I think What Dreams May Come is going to get my vote here. All right, What Dreams May Come picks up a second vote, and let's hear what Steven has to say. So here we have the classic matchup where we're trying to pick the best of two bad movies. Let's be honest, neither one of these movies are good. They're not making anybody's top 100 list. Um... Patch Adams is terrible, boring. Uh, if you don't believe me that's a bad film, ask Patch Adams. He hated it, too, because it's so inaccurate and doesn't even represent the research that he legitimately contributed to the universe about the power of laughter and healing and comedy. And, like, he's a very serious man. You should take his research very seriously. Don't take the film seriously. It's terrible. It's boring. And it's highly inaccurate for a documentary, even by Hollywood standards. Um... What dreams may come, there is no momentum or plot in that film until we get to the third act and suddenly we have mission. Um, that's its chief problem, is that you're just kind of sitting there 
and they're hoping you're going to be entertained by the pretty colors. And as has been said, the pretty colors don't really hold up that great. Uh, but when I was watching What Dreams May Come, I was not upset at what I was watching. And the only thing I can conclude is that the thing that kept me going through those first two acts when nothing was happening was how genuinely wonderful Robin Williams was in it. So that's got to be the better performance. I'm going to go with What Dreams May Come. All right, What Dreams May Come picks up the decisive third vote, moving it on to the next round. Our final matchup in this third region is the two-seed of the Fisher King versus the seven-seed of Flubber. Up first is Chris. Oh, this is the question, right? It's it's how much do you love Flubber? How much of a of a role did that play in your childhood? Flubber is a really bad movie, guys. But Robin Williams is so good in it. I I remember Robin Williams' performance. I remember him getting into the Flubber car and flying off. Like it's a it's a fun movie. But the Fisher King, there's the scene in the Fisher King where he's like, he's you can't see this, but he's holding up. I forget what it is, but he goes, do you know what I am? And he goes, I'm a knight. It's a funny movie. I, I joked about this earlier, but the thing I remember most about the Fisher King is the fact that Jeff didn't. Mike, you're shaking your head now. You're going to correct me later, aren't you? Yeah, you are. Um, The, the most memorable thing about the Fisher King is Jeff Daniels' hair. But Robin Williams' performance in that is actually really solid. It's a phenomenal film. It, it, it's again, it's not. It's like Steve said, this is not one that's going to crack anyone's top ten. But it's a really good movie. Go watch it if you can. At this point, I gotta go with the one I'm gonna remember more. And even if I'm apparently remembering it wrong, I'm still going with the Fisher King. It's been a while since I've seen it, so give me a little bit of a little bit of a break. <laughs> Uh, so that was a vote for the Fisher King. Uh, up next is Mike. Don't get me wrong. The Fisher King does have its memorable, funny moments. But I, the, the funny moments are not, not what I really remember from the Fisher King, uh, I guess. But this is an interesting matchup because... I think the Fisher... The, well, I don't think. The Fisher King is very much the better movie. And... Rob Williams' performance in it is very memorable, but I do find myself facing the, the question of, are we grading on a scale? It's basically, to put it another way, Flubber is an unwatchable film that gets dragged, kicking and screaming into borderline watchable just because of robin williams and is that degree of heavy lifting enough I, again i was a little older when when flubber came out i think than than other folks so i don't i don't, I, don't it, I was over the that particular it was it was you know uh aimed at younger audiences than myself so is that enough and 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 the correct answer is no it is it is definitely not not enough rob williams is great in the fisher king uh secondary guilty movie we have on this list uh and uh, certainly the better one uh, granted i'm just basing that as i said on a couple of youtube clips of the other one but the fisher king is a fantastic film uh it does it does have funny moments i just i just remember the more heartbreaking moments i guess they stick with me better and i think that's a testament uh to robin williams performance is that 
both of those aspects of that can stick with people with two different people in different ways. So yeah, the Fisher King gets my vote here. All right, Fisher King picks up another vote. Steven. Yeah, um, obviously if the average panelist age on this was five to ten years younger, maybe Flubber would have a fighting chance here. Like a basketball team that was so clearly cheating, every single one of their members should have been ejected from the game almost instantly. Uh, But at the end of the day, the Fisher King is just one of those great little story or little films that succeeds in these deeper themes. The only hesitation I give is, is yeah. Robin Williams has a much bigger part and is pushing more uphill in Flubber. But at the end of the day, there's just more for him to dig into with the Fisher King. You can only go so deep with what Flubber gives you. So, yeah, the better performance is in the Fisher King. And the Fisher King picks up a third vote. Leah. I am so annoyed that Flubber made it on this list. It is a ridiculous movie. Uh, every single person in the pub trivia lounge thing on Facebook who voted for Flubber. Yes, it was the number one voted movie, according to the fans of Pub Trivia Experience and Bruzy Bracketology, to make it onto this list. Um, I'm just... I question all of your sanity because this movie is just ridiculous. I didn't even like it as a kid. It was in my like wheelhouse as a child. Couldn't stand it. Um, the Fisher King, like everyone said, it's powerful. It's moving. It's a little nonsensical too. Obviously not in the same way that Flubber is, but Robin's performance just hits you in all the right places in the Fisher King. So it's going to get my vote. All right. Fisher King sleeps its way to the next round. Moving on to our final region, we've got the number one seed of Mrs. Doubtfire up against the eight seed of License to Wed. Up first is Mike. First of all, I do want to remind all of our fans that we do love you, and uh, the fact that you disagree with us uh, in the case of Flubber potentially in this uh, instance, just remember our wrongness is part of our charm. (laughs) I think it's... Chris did it in the last episode. I think it's I think it's my turn to just laugh uncontrollably at this matchup. Mrs. Doubtfire versus License to Wed. Are we going to discuss this? No, we we don't need to. Mrs. Doubtfire is so far and away the better performance that that there's. I don't even know that we need to. Uh, License to Wed. I vaguely recall seeing i actually own the dvd just because my sister gave it to me as a gag gift shortly before my wedding but i don't think i even ever opened the dvd because i'd already seen it and i was already like yeah okay it's whatever mrs doubtfire is clearly the winner here move it along and mrs doubtfire gets us started steven yeah this is nothing but just a run by fruiting mrs doubtfire wins this <laughs> easily <laughs> All right, Leah. So, yeah, it's definitely going to be Mrs. Doubtfire for me. Um, And one of the reasons because of that is that when I used to watch it when I was younger, I always, I was always, like, on team Robin Williams. Like, Sally Field was just, like, this total square. I was like, why are you getting on his case? He's a fun dad. He's really cool. He's trying really, really hard. Um, But now as an adult, I 
have understood that I am now the Sally Field character and I still don't hate the Robin Williams. Like, I don't hate him. Like, I yes, I think if I were married to him and that was the father of my child, I would also get annoyed um, by his antics sometimes. Um, and I may find him annoying. I might find him ridiculous, but I still wouldn't hate him. He's so good in this role. Um, you know, because you can still, like, no matter how ridiculous he is, you're still rooting for him because you know he has such a good heart. So, yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire is getting my vote. All right, Mrs. Doubtfire picks up a third vote. And Chris? I think my wife just called me both annoying and ridiculous, so I'm not going to take that too personally. Uh, no, you want know you know what the funny, funniest part of License to Wed is? It's the idea of Robin Williams playing a freaking priest. <laughs> that That's it. That peaks that movie because there's nothing else remotely... Char- it's not a funny movie. It's paint by numbers. Yeah, we actually have a copy of it. Leah got it before our wedding. You know why? Because the only way anyone buys that movie is to buy it to try and make some poor bride watch it before she gets married. No one's going home with John Krasinski here. Sorry, y'all. Not going to happen. This is obviously Mrs. Doubtfire. Stephen Droll stole my run by fruiting, but you know what? He didn't do the accent, so it doesn't count. I- I'm going to keep that in my back pocket for next episode. All right, Mrs. Doubtfire is sweeping its way to the next round as we move on to our three seed of Deconstructing Harry versus the six seed of Death to Smoochie. Up first is Steven. I feel like this one is similar to uh, kind of what we paid lip service to uh, when we were talking about the Fisher King versus Flubber. Um, Death to Smoochie is not a good movie. Robin Williams is good in it. Like, if the task is to play that part, I don't think he can play that part any better. Um, and his role in Deconstructing Harry, it's not that memorable. It's not really that big. It comes to the end. He's playing a version of the main character that's in the fictional universe. So, I actually think, based on performance and not quality of film, I think there's enough of a difference there. I'm actually going to go ahead and cast a vote, probably for the only time in my life, for Death for Smoochie. All right, Death to Smoochie gets the first vote. Leah? Yeah, neither of these movies are my cup of tea. I'm never going to watch them again. Um, His role in deconstructing. Harry is super, super small, um, so I am going to give it to Death to Smoochie just because I do think that his uh, performance in that movie leaves more of an impact. All right, we've got the makings for our first upset as Death to Smoochie picks up the second vote. Chris? Only on boozy bracketology would we be comparing movies where one is directed by a multiple-time Oscar nominee and winner, Woody Allen, and the other is directed by Danny DeVito. Only here. (laughs) Literally only here. Um, I don't like Woody Allen movies. I don't like Woody Allen. Um... The only thing I can remember, and Stephen or Mike, correct me if I'm wrong here, the only thing I can remember, I think the entire time he's in Deconstructing Harry, he's out of focus. I think that's like the, the shtick, right? Like He's out of focus, and it's not the... I'm remembering back to like the, the, the cameramen are getting into an argument because they can't get him into focus. And it's like, it's not the camera, it's him. He's all fuzzy. But <laughs> yeah, I think that's not. the shtick. Yep. Okay, so I'm not wrong. Um, Stephen's right. Death to Smoochie is a bad movie. But Robin Williams makes that movie watchable. Uh, not just Robin Williams. Edward Norton as the really... Uh, golly shucks, y'all. Uh, 
it's it's entertaining. Thank you. Um, it's entertaining, but no, I'll I'm going with Death to Smoochie here. Uh, for the no, not the first time. I'll watch anything Dan DeVito does before I watch anything Woody Allen ever does again. So yeah, Death to Smoochie, move it along. All right, Death to Smoochie picks up a third vote, Mike. Yeah, including uh, deconstructing Harry on this bracket, I thought was a little bit interesting because it really is barely more than a than a glorified cameo. We definitely have several other movies on this bracket where he has a smaller role, but at least for the most part makes an impact. There's there's one or two other uh, examples of that are basically a little more than cameos. But yeah, he Death to Smoochie was an. It's not a good movie. I know a lot of people that. That really, I don't know a lot of people, but I have encountered a lot of people uh, on the interwebs who, whether ironically or not, will swear by that movie as a brilliant black comedy. I just don't see it. But Robin Williams, it's it's an interesting choice for him in that particular moment in his career. And he does play the part that he is asked to play incredibly well. And so, yeah, sweep it along. I will also vote like Steven for probably the only time in my life in a best of style bracket for death to smoochie. All right. Death to smoochie. We'll be moving on with a sweep in what is our first upset. Nothing was even close before that. Wow. (laughs) Our next matchup is our four seed of one hour photo versus our five seed of Popeye. Leah. I hated one hour photo. It's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. And Robin did a very memorable job at being creepy. Uh, Popeye is like the complete opposite of that movie. Although you could also say that Popeye is a little bit of a creep um, in that movie too. Um, But I guess because there aren't as many creepy Robin Williams films on this bracket left. um, And there are a bunch of ridiculously silly roles on here. Ones that I like a lot better than Popeye. I am going to go with one hour photo, but please, please, please don't make me watch it again. All right. One hour photo. Chris. Popeye as a character is dated. And Popeye as a character was dated in the 80s when they made the stinking movie. Like that character was very much a subject of its time. And they made a movie about Popeye the Sailor Man and they didn't update it at all. And this was the 80s, for God's sake. I saw this movie as a kid and I'm going... This is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. I don't think Robin Williams is even acting in it. I think he's just doing his version of what the cartoon guy used to do. I don't feel like he's acting. I feel like he's mimicking. Uh, One Hour Photo is not a good movie. It's not a good horror or thriller movie. But Robin Williams in that movie is creepy. He's unsettling. He's what I would want Robin Williams to be. He makes that movie what it is. I mean, that movie, if if there's any other actor in that role, I don't think it's anywhere near as good as it is as good as, as good as it is. And that's not saying much because the movie's not good. But it's memorable. It's creepy. It's unsettling. Robin Williams will get my vote in one hour photo. And one hour photo picks up a second vote. Mike. You got to hand it to Robin Williams. I mean, you're making your theatrical debut in a leading role in Popeye directed by Robert Altman. I mean, that says a lot to 
how much cred you have built yourself on the small screen and on the stage. Uh, that's that's a testament. But Chris hit the nail on the head. He's he's channeling. He's just channeling the character more than necessarily bringing his own spin to it. It's it's cartoonish. It fit very well for very early Robin Williams. It's it's a standout performance in an, a really just bad movie. <laughs> it it is. It's just a bad movie. I disagree that I don't think One Hour Photo is a bad movie. I don't know that it's. Ne- I don't know. I would call it a great movie but it's a movie that was worth watching to see that to see that performance there are as creepy as he is there are layers to it that and make it incredibly compelling and interesting and even occasionally for a little bit up until obviously things go off the rails even sympathetic and there there aren't a whole lot of actors that can pull that off. And Robin Williams, obviously at that point he was going against type a little bit. He'd already been sort of freed to do that with his role in insomnia, but this was even more. So a uh, one hour photo is definitely the better performance here. It gets my vote. And one hour photo picks up a third vote. Steven. I'm going to try to meet Chris halfway here and agree that one hour photo is not a good, horror thriller film um because it's not what i think it's trying to be obviously it's borrowing from that genre a little bit in tone but it's a character study that's what it's interested in it's not interested in how this person is terrorizing these people it's interested in what would make a character terrorize these people and i think it succeeds at that Uh, i mentioned earlier with insomnia i thought there was a better monster out there i think it's one hour photo uh, not because it's necessarily a better film it's in, but we get to spend more time with that character. We get to learn more about that character, go much deeper. He's allowed to play that character in a much more robust, well-thought-out way. We get to see a progression more. Um, I, I think One Hour Photo, it's a good movie. Uh, Popeye is not a good movie. <laughs> it's boring. It doesn't even look good. I mean, it's it's a film based on a cartoon, and they went with this washed-out color palette. I, 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 I don't get what they're going there. But you know what? I never liked Popeye cartoons either. So uh, with all respect to the Fleischer Brothers and everything they did for animation, you're not going to get me with a Popeye film. Uh, one-hour photo, I think, is clearly getting my vote, and it's one that deserves more respect. All right. One-hour photo will be sweeping its way to the Sweet 16 as well. Our final matchup is going to be the two-seed of Good Morning Vietnam versus the seven-seed of Jacob the Liar. The, the first vote, it's Chris. Anyone else find it funny that these two movies are going head-to-head, like two movies about guys on radios? Like the same yeah. guy on the radio? It's it's kind of weird. Um, I also find it weird that Jacob the Liar is a seven-seed. I actually really enjoy that. Uh, enjoy is not the right word, but I like that movie. I, th- I, th- I thought it was a really well-made film. Uh, the fact that it's a seven-seed to me is a little weird. Um, there's some similarities to them, but at the end of the day, I've got to make a decision here. And for me, it's Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, the the movie is blisteringly funny with a lot of social commentary, 
but it gets serious quick. And the scene that gets it for me is when he gets to, after the bombing happens, and he gets to have, not the conversation, but he gets to confront the kid that has been there the entire time, has been in the community the entire time, that was one of the ones responsible for the bombing that killed so many people. That gets me every time. Good Morning Vietnam for me is a a seminal work for Robin Williams. It's a work that I don't think we talk about enough when it comes to, hey, Robin Williams is this great actor. Yes, it is. And Mrs. Doubtfire and, and Hook and Aladdin, uh, Good Will Hunting. Good Morning Vietnam deserves to be up there every bit as much as those movies do because the movie is phenomenal. But Robin Williams' performance is so layered and masterful. He does this so well. He does it so well. He doesn't just play one character. He builds out onions worth of characters. There's layer upon layer upon layer of everything he does. You can tell he was really good at his craft because he actually took time to build these in. And he did this from a young age. Good Morning Vietnam came out a while ago. We're not talking about something that happened in the 2000s. This movie's old, and it's phenomenal. And a lot of his older work is that way. Um, For me, this is actually not close. It's Good Morning Vietnam. All right. Good Morning Vietnam gets the first vote. Mike. Chris took a lot of the words out of my mouth, uh, up up to and including the scene that most sticks out for me in Good Morning Vietnam, which is not all the comedic stuff, which is – absolutely fantastic and fall down hilarious but it is it is that scene of tremendous you get to see a lot of different sides of robin williams acting in that role all rolled up into one obviously the manic comedic side that the serious side when he confronts the kid the, even the romantic side when he's when he's pursuing the 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 girl the vietnamese girl it, it's a great performance. It's one of the, I would say probably it's one of the first performances in his career that kind of made people stand up and take notice and be like, this guy, he can do a lot of different things. Uh, there were, there were, he, there were others prior to that, but I think this is the one that just first probably really made people stand up and take notice. And Jacob, the liar, I think got a little bit of a, a disservice here. I think it's a little underseated because it, it is a fine performance. It's and it's a it's a relatively you know decent film. It's not not a great film, but it's not bad. Uh, and he's very good in it. But it still doesn't hold a candle to Good Morning Vietnam, which is the better film and the better performance. So it gets my vote. Good Morning Vietnam picks up a second vote. Stephen, I don't know this. For certain, but uh, when I imagine how Jacob the Liar became a film, I assume that it was a script that was already on somebody's desk, and then Schindler's List happens in 93, so they go ahead and greenlight it, because they assume that we like Holocaust films now, and then it kind of gets bumped around until they get a star to sign off to it, like a couple years later, and what we end up with is a middle-of-the-road film which is what happens usually when we have scripts that hang around like that. Um, Robin Williams is good in it. It's it's okay, but, like, there are better Holocaust films. Um, maybe, it, maybe you want to watch a Holocaust film that's not the most depressing Holocaust film. Jacob the Liar would be that, but then why are you watching Holocaust films? I mean, well, let's, let's, let's treat this serious. <laughs> so... Yeah, obviously, Good Morning Vietnam. You've all said it. It's great. It gets my vote. Uh, 
Jacob the Liar is just, I, I find it to be a very weird film. Tonally, it's a little weird. It's, it's, I don't know who it's going for. I don't know what the target audience is, I guess. Uh, certainly not me. And Good Morning Vietnam picks up another vote. Leah. Uh, yeah, Jacob the Liar, um, I was their target audience when that movie came out. Um, I kind of fought hard for this film to be on this bracket because pretty much every critic did not have Jacob the Liar um, as a top performance for Robin Williams. And I uh, disagreed. So I, I kind of, uh, this was the one that I kind of fudged a little bit to be on this bracket because... Uh, it did make an impact on me. I actually saw Jacob the Liar before I saw Good Morning Vietnam. So I think that that's important to uh, to, to say because I do think um, since both films kind of have some similarities, obviously war movies and that large radio presence that we were talking about. Um, because I saw Jacob the Liar first, it's the one that I remember and associate more Um more memories, more attachment to. Um, his performance left an impact on me in that movie. Um, and part of that does have to do with the way the movie ended. Um, but I'm not sad that Good Morning Vietnam is moving on because it, I, I agree with everyone, everything that everyone said. It is more iconic. Um, it's a superb film. Um, but for me, I'm just going to go with my gut here and Jacob the Liar made more of an impact for me in his performance. So, uh, I'm going to vote for Jacob the Liar. All right. Jacob the Liar does pick up a vote, but it is too late as Good Morning Vietnam will be moving on. All right. Just like that, we've determined our final eight of the best Robin Williams performances. Join us next time as we take on the Sweet Sixteen. And if you like what we're doing here and want to help support what we're doing, uh, please feel free to check out uh, our Patreon at patreon.com slash p-t-e-b-b. Uh, we've got our old Patreon re- uh, Patreon-only show, Boozy Revisited, uh, where we go over all the bad and tough decisions we made months before, uh, as well as all our other bonus trivia and brackets that we have from our sister podcast, Pub Trivia Experience, as well as any of the bonus brackets you have here. Um, several different levels of options and support and we'd love to hang out with you over there and as always you can also find us everywhere on social media at boozy bracketology except on twitter where we're still boozy brackets Uh, you can also join us on our facebook group the lounge fans of pub trivia experience and boozy bracketology Uh, we're always interacting over there and uh, as you've heard in the show so far we always put polls and different questions and topics out there to uh, chat with you guys um but for Boozy Bracketology, I've been your host, Jeff. I have been Mike. I've been Steven. I'm Leah. I'm Chris. And we'll see you on the next show.